Welcome to On the Flip Side, a podcast about being your best self. We are your hosts. My name is Lindsay. And I'm Amanda. And today's topic is putting first things first. So seven habits of highly effective people, everything builds on itself. So when you put first things first, really what you're doing is combining your first two habits to create a third one. So quick review, uh, and I wish I had a whiteboard for this, but uh, let's see if I can do it verbally. Habit one says you are the creator and you are in charge. So essentially it's you are able to look at yourself and determine if that is the you that you want to be, um, evaluate where you are uh, in life and how you got there and if you want to be there. Um, habit two is sort of where could you go? It says it's the first mental creation um, and it's based on imagination. So, you know, if habit one, uh, you think I've, I'm in an unhealthy program that I was given from childhood, um, habit two is saying, well, then what, what could my life look like and creating it for the first time in your mind and your imagination Habit three is the second creation, which is the physical creation. So it's taking what you created in your mind and making it your reality, uh, which is really, really exciting. And, and the way you do that, back to the title of the chapter, is by putting first things first. What I love about putting first things first is it comes down to the daily to-dos, right? It's all of the small decisions that we make every day. Uh, it's not dramatic. It's not, you know, some giant goal that we're trying to get to. It is all of uh, the daily discipline to carrying out the goals on a step-by-step -step level, um, if that makes sense. And there's a great statement here that's in quotes of, basically doing the things failures don't like to do. Yes. And that quote actually is sort of the definition of success as far as Kobe's concerned. Um, a successful person can self-manage uh, to the point where they can repeatedly do the things that other people don't like and that they don't like to do, and they do it habitually. Hence, uh, you know, habit three. So Amanda, tell me, um, what is your best habit, big or small? Well, I would like to say the simplicity of brushing my teeth every day. It is something that I feel wrong if I don't actually do, and I feel gross is the wrong term, but essentially gross. Um, and I don't feel like I'm keeping a commitment to myself that I made many, many years ago, um, you know, due to like seeing my family's teeth and seeing other people's teeth. And to me, it was really important that, you know, as an adult, especially, I was going to be dedicated to that and keep that commitment to myself. What about you? Yeah. I, it's funny, you know, we prep for these episodes and when we were like, what's your best habit? I think you and I both reached for something big and something um, to really be proud of. 
and we dug and dug and searched and I also came back to what we call in my house lotions potions and teeth which is getting back to the basic self-care of every morning and every night doing the base level things to set yourself up for success and for me and I think for a lot of people the daily grooming isn't the highlight of my day like I don't wake up and I'm like yeah I get to brush my teeth twice today yeah (laughs) I get to uh wash my face and moisturize but I do see such a big difference on the rare instance that I don't do it that you know as simple as brushing my teeth is it's really the difference between you know me having a successful and productive day and me wanting to lay around in my underwear on the couch all day (laughs) well you know there's always a time and a place for that (laughs) always um but it's it's not just today also like the more i think about it the more it's like you know success is a bunch of building blocks so brushing your teeth is an example of something that you can do every day that will help invest in your tomorrow and down the line um and it's so simple i personally find it boring and i have to put on a song to make sure i do it long enough but you know by brushing my teeth this morning i am now able to set myself up for success today and tomorrow and hopefully in 50 years when i still have all my pearly whites (laughs) (laughs) and the great thing about it at least from my perspective um is that it's doing the the daily grind of all the things that are preventative for yourself that are good for you not just today but eventually even as boring as they may be is measured by integrity right it's measured by you know the value that we place on ourselves and being able to keep commitments to ourselves, and it's it's Mm. pretty often that expectations of what we should be doing and how we should be spending our time uh, aren't in line with our priorities. They're uh, urgent or they're, uh, you know, crises that we have to deal with every day, you know, from like how to manage mm-hmm. dropping your kid off while working a full-time job, while making sure everybody eats right, you know, that type of thing to, um, you know, running a full-blown business and which, you know, in a lot of ways is the same thing, but, um, there's Mm -hmm. so many Mm -hmm. things that we get distracted by that a lot of times our priorities like what we value get put on the wayside and uh the important part is realizing that satisfaction is really a function of expectation as well as realization um, and it's oh, it's remembering to keep our priorities within our circle of influence and um, to yeah. focus on results and uh, relationships, right? And, and that kind of success and remembering that success is within yourself and your priorities as opposed to everybody else's like, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do it on their timeline as opposed to yours. So... One of the things you hit on is 
prioritizing, um, but prioritizing in an effective way. So, you know, in, in chapter two, we talked about uh, being in a jungle, right? Like you, you can be the most productive person in a jungle, but if you're in the wrong jungle, um, then, then what are you working towards? So I guess my question then becomes, how do you prioritize? Like, you know, you said there are things that are urgent crises and then there's other things that are just not urgent and not important and nice to haves. So how do you think about it as sort of a management matrix? So Covey says that we, there are four ways that we spend our time, which breaks down into essentially two considerations, importance and urgency. And the way that it's broken down in this quadrant is uh, important and urgent matters, which would be um, like your client's database goes down. Something that you have to respond to right then, and it cannot be put off. Then there's important but not urgent, like going back to lotions and potions and teeth, you know, brushing your teeth. It's very important, but it's not urgent. Uh, then we have quadrant three, which is not important, but urgent, uh, like checking your email. Then we have not important and not urgent, uh, which can be anything that tends to be a time waster. Or just simply a pleasant activity something that that isn't pressing that you don't have to do but you might want to do right and uh where kobe says that we should be spending most of our time is quadrant two which is important but not urgent um examples uh on the high level would be like building relationships and long-range planning exercising preparation essentially preventative maintenance the things that are important and usually align with our goals, but aren't put on the uh, the schedule often because they're not urgent and important. They're not crises to be solved. They're not problems that we have to address right then and there. And usually we can't solve them because they're long-term. They do take the day-to-day -day discipline that we talked about at the beginning in order to achieve those goals. And when you talk about preventative maintenance, I can't help but think, I used to work at a company that did predictive maintenance and analytics on really large machinery. And a big portion of the value prop at that time was the fact that if you have a massive machine that goes down, not only do you have to pay for a new one or pay for significant maintenance, but then you also have to put everything, your whole production line, on pause. And so you lose money simply because you're not producing, right? When you are working on things that are important, but not urgent, it's a lot easier to find one part of the machine that's not optimized and fix that for a lower cost with no downtime. So mm -hmm. when it comes to important and not urgent, these are the daily drivers, the day-to-day -day minutia habits, the brushing your teeth, of everything that will set you up for success down the line. I have a question for you. Yes. Do you think 
there's a difference between personal and professional priorities when it comes to the matrix. Because we're sort of talking about it as one big lump, but is it? I think from the management and the items that you do every day, the answer could definitely be yes. But from a holistic perspective, if what you are doing personally or professionally aligns with your priorities and aligns with the goals that you set for yourself in habits one and two, and they align with the principles, then generally speaking, I would say no. Unpack that. Unpack that for me. In work, you are doing a lot of the same things that you are doing in your personal life, but on a, you know, salary scale, right? You are often building relationships. You're often long-range planning. Um, you're exercising some kind of thing. If it's not physical, you're exercising your brain, hopefully. Um, but if, you're, if your career, if your job aligns with who you are and you are in the right jungle, then your important and not urgent tasks for the day or the week are going to align with the same kinds of things that you do in your personal life. Um, whether it's, you know, building relationships with, you know, your family or friends or social network, you're going to act in a similar manner because your goals are, your priorities and your goals are established and you are confident in those goals and you're not easily pulled away by uh, everybody else's opinion of what you should be doing, right? You're not going to be pulled away from important tasks, important and not urgent tasks as easily because you are focused on those priorities. Um, and you have the courage to say no unapologetically. You know, one of the things that Kobe says in this book is that you are always saying no to something. And when you say no to, you know, other people, a lot of people, especially people pleasers, tend to feel guilty about it because we just, we want to do all the things for all the people. But by doing that, you're also saying no to yourself. And so we are always saying no. And when our priorities are in line with our goals and we make sure that we take that time in quadrant two, that's when we find the sweet spot. And long story short, you know, I, I do believe that everything aligns there. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that you just touched on that I think is really interesting is long-term and short-term organizing um, and saying no. So saying no isn't a rejection. Saying no is simply prioritizing the things that are the most important and backburnering anything uh, that's, you know, not urgent and not important. It's really protecting sort of the quadrant two of not urgent, but really important things that if you just continue to plug away on the number of crises that you will encounter um, and the number of sort of stupidly urgent things that you'll encounter um, that don't actually mean a lot in the long term, 
um, are going to go down. And, and isn't that, isn't the goal to be able to sort of cruise through most days without an emergency? That's the so hope. I guess my question is like, how, yeah, right. How do you prioritize so that you stay away from being in the thick of thin things from <laughs> chapter two? Well, the first thing as, you know, a planner and a, a manager is I would say, don't get stuck in the idea that you don't have time to do quadrant two activities. Um, you take them from mm -hmm. three and four, the not important and the not urgent, and you turn that time into a weekly schedule where you uh, flexibly schedule out the important things that align with your priorities and um, really boils down to what you want your funeral to look like, right? Uh, mm -hmm. What do you want people to say about you when you are gone? Those types of priorities that you set, that you see, that you're looking at now bring up what success means to you, which we discussed in last episode. And that mm -hmm. comes down to you have to have a bigger yes burning inside than all of the distractions of life and stuff, which means that you have to have your priorities essentially set in stone, but in a flexible way. Does that make any sense? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I love I love the idea of the burning yes because it goes back to the no's. When I say no to something, it's not that I don't want to or I think it's a bad idea, but by saying no to other things, it is I am creating space for me to continue to chase that burning yes. I think a lot about anybody who knows me is going to laugh at this, but I think a lot about Lego, the blocks yeah the the building blocks okay during the pandemic my husband my husband and i got really really into lego master where i also learned that the plural of lego is lego so don't add an s but when you're building with lego you're essentially building a foundation and then you're building up from it so you then get to stack blocks so if every block of a lego construction is a yes or a no it's all going to build towards something greater which will be your you know your creation or your funeral <laughs> as, as bleak <laughs> as that sounds so if, if every block adds up a bunch of blocks you know will equal a week and at the end of each week did you make any headway on your daily blocks, on your daily goals, on your daily yeses and nos uh, in the right jungle um, that you are working towards creating something long term? Now, does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Um, one way that I it just dawned on me, um, somebody close to me was talking about human design recently and they were talking about my specific human design and what they said is that I need to respond to things and that it really comes down to if it's not a hell yes 
it is a hell no. If it is not something I am passionate about and I immediately, like my intuition says yes to, if I have to think about it, then it's a hell no. It is not in line with my goals. Yes. <laughs> well, no, because what I'm what I'm sitting here thinking is I don't think once in my life I've been like time to brush my teeth and I'm like, hell yes. But it's a positive thing. So how do you fit in little things like that and make them hell yeses? Well, I think it it's probably related to your fire, right? If you think about the consequences, if you think about the bigger picture, uh, then it becomes a hell yes, right? Because you don't want to get to 50 and not have teeth uh, because you took the easy way out because you it was easier in the moment, right? That type of thing is... I think how you turn it into a hell yes, but also remembering to have balanced priorities, um, making sure mm. that you have time for yourself, whether it's self-care in the taking a Epsom salt bath kind of way, or if it's uh, something as simple as taking a walk, right? It's, it's scheduling time into your day where you make sure that you put you first um, and that you take care of yourself because you can't help somebody if you don't have your own oxygen mask on first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You told me a story a couple days ago that has really sort of stuck with me about if your long-term organizing is creating a mission statement looking at your roles and then turning those into goals. The weekly organizing comes down to your roles and then your goals and then your tactical plans. You told me a story about a time that you got super tactical, but you might not have been building towards anything. And can you, can you share that again? Yeah. So I am by all definitions, a manager. And so the day-to-day -day is really my sweet spot of getting things done, right? They say that a leader uh, puts the priorities together and the manager makes sure it happens. The leader is the one who makes sure you're in the right jungle and the manager is the one who hacks down all of the branches that get in your way. Um, well, when you don't have enough self-leadership and you're not even sure if you're in the right jungle, a lot of times it's really easy to get caught up in the frustration of everyday urgencies. And because you don't take the time for self-awareness and you don't take the time to essentially check yourself and where you want to be and where you want to get, and you stop thinking about your funeral altogether, um, you, you get into the cycle of, you know, day in and day out, you're essentially doing the same thing. And that leads to, uh, you know, managing crises as they come and they tend to happen more often than not. And you really have no time to plan because everything seems to be hitting the fan at the same time. And it takes a toll um, from personal experience on your mental and your physical well-being. Um, and I've had various 
times and circumstances where because one more thing, you know, one more crisis hit me, it's like everything else imploded. And I had to have the hard conversation um, with myself of essentially hitting rock bottom, but in a, in a good way of going back to chapter two's focus on, and chapter one, um, focus on self-awareness. You know, it, it's um, really important that we do come back to that and do come back to who we truly are and what our goals are um, and have that constant feedback loop with ourselves. Yeah, I think another way to put this, not to not to mansplain your story, is when you're in quadrant one and you're you have all these crises, like you are reacting, you are being reactive when you are living, you know, the majority of your time in quadrant two, which is again the important but not urgent. That's where you can get really proactive in planning and goals and looking down the line. Um, when, when you were telling me about this, I don't know, a couple days ago, you were talking about the toll it took on you and like your physical health, your mental health, all of these things are connected because if you're constantly reacting to an emergency, if everything is an emergency, your body never gets a chance to like settle and feel safe. Yeah. We don't go through the process of completing our stress cycle. Um, but also, I mean, COVID goes through it too, right? When we get frustrated and stressed and we, we don't take that time, it's usually a reflection of the social mirror rather than our own values and priorities, right? And um, oh. in order to actually answer your question and, and spend more time in the important and the not urgent. Um, Kobe says there's a few things, but the first you touched on earlier of identifying roles, right? Take a piece of paper and write down every role that you have, whether it's volunteer in a nonprofit to COO of a company to um, mom and aunt and sister. And because every single one of those roles has things that you feel you have to do within it. And to one, just the awareness of how many roles you have assigned to yourself is an incredibly mm -hmm. powerful thing to just see. But then once you identify your roles, you select goals just for a week at a time of what goes into each role. Um, and they should be simple things, things that are attainable, but things that also go, go to the bottom line priorities that you have set based on your values and what you're wanting your funeral to look like. And then you go through the process of scheduling. And then you go through the process of adaptation on the daily, right? Your, your schedule... <laughs> That means that, you know, life throws things at you and you have to be able to flex. You have to be able to adapt or else it's just going to lead to the cycle of frustration, right? And you're, you're going to feel it in your body and you're going to feel it in your mental health because you are not taking the time to reflect on what truly matters to you and to go back to, um, 
those goals that you have set that are attainable as long as you work on the planning and the scheduling and it being a, a full-bodied process instead of just, yeah, I've got this week of hell and chaos and all these things that I have to do. I don't know how to do it, right? But if you don't actually sit down and plan it, everything's going to hit the fan because you didn't take the time to do so. What happens or what does it mean when it does hit the fan when you haven't sat down and planned to a to a reasonable degree and shit hits the fan like does that mean you're a failure absolutely not but it does mean as long as you look at it for what it is and you have self-compassion for yourself uh and realizing that you need to meet yourself where you are it's like, don't dive into a goal of wanting to hike Mount Everest, or I guess climb Mount Everest, um, thinking sure. that it's going to be an easy goal, right? It has to be reflected in the context of what it is. It is a very difficult goal, which sets you up for doing the daily um exercise and the daily endurance practices that you have to do in order to actually be able to achieve that but you have to put it into context yep you just you just said the word for me um and that's practice i mean you are not going to show up every day and nail it every day every time and you don't have to because you're a human and most of what we do day to day is not climbing Mount Everest. It's not a life or death situation, but what you do have to do is show up and practice it. I, I think a lot about, um, I had this great yoga teacher who said, you, you don't have, you don't have to nail this pose. You don't have to do it every single time, but you do have to show up. You do have to try and you do have to be kind to yourself when you fall over or when you get it right, you know, mm-hmm. um, all of those days of falling over in class <laughs> eventually lead to a really strong practice. Mm-hmm. So really, I, when I think about goals and the day-to-day and which quadrants I'm living in, if I'm building to Mount Everest, I just have to show up and practice every day. And, and I'll get there. And I think a key to that, too, is we don't have to achieve our goal in one specific way. It doesn't have to be how mm. your sister did it or how your parents did it or how your friends did it. You should be achieving your goal in a way that works for you. Um, yep. An example with you that we talked about, you know, is flossing... Uh, and how much you don't like it, which I don't blame you. It's my least favorite yeah. thing. Um, but you mm-hmm. enabled yourself to do it in a way that uh, reduced the stress and reduced the dislike by using a flosser instead of a long string of floss. Yeah, it might not be the greenest thing, but I am far more likely to floss if I have a flosser. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I quit crocheting for years because it was too painful and it was just, it took too long to achieve anything. And then it dawned on me recently because it was something that I loved and I wanted to get it back into is I modified how I do it by using bigger yarn and bigger needles. 
And, oh. you know, these things may seem like, well, duh, you know, they, they certainly feel like it to me too. But I think that everyone gets stuck in a loop of feeling like we have to do things one specific way. And it's really not true. I mean, there are certain things like, you know, getting a bachelor's degree that you have to meet a set of requirements, but they don't tell you how okay. to study. They don't tell you how to achieve, you know, your grades. They just say these are the requirements around it. And when we get stuck in thinking that we just have to um, do it one way, I think that a lot of time we just kind of give up because it's no longer something that we think that we can accomplish. And in the spirit of practice, there should be, we, we, we owe it to ourselves to create the space to try it in different ways. If it came down to flossing or not flossing or crocheting or not crocheting, the first thing you try might not be the thing, but you got to practice with it to know if it is your thing. And then mm -hmm. if after a period of time you're like, mm, it doesn't work for me, you have to be able to recognize your own humanity and try it in a different way. Pinpoint the things that aren't working. What about this way of doing things takes you out of the right jungle? Or it's not even out of the right jungle because you're in the right jungle. You just, you have to create space to find methods that work for you. You have to be kind to yourself throughout it. Yeah. Kindness is honestly something that is probably vastly underrated uh, and something that we all deeply need. And one way that we can help with, you know, doing things in different ways is to give up on the idea of perfection. Perfection is, in my mind, the opposite of progress because perfection is not something that anybody can meet and this mm -hmm. year I've really focused on giving up perfection and that's when my joy actually came back it's one of the reasons that I when you know we we're talking about that example earlier where it took a, a big toll on my body and um physically and mentally because I got stuck in the the day-to-day -day chaos of the urgent and the important um I I felt completely lost and overwhelmed mm -hmm. until it dawned on me that this striving for perfection all the time will never get me where I want and I'm a chronic perfectionist so for me to give that up is extremely difficult but the most freeing thing that I have done for myself, probably ever. Um, and with that, with, you know, not trying to be perfect, it also enabled me to see the power of delegation and the power of like, yeah, it mm -hmm. would be better if I just did it myself because I know exactly the quality and the time and everything that it would take for me to do it as opposed to having somebody else do it. But then I lose out because I'm dealing with all of these urgent, important issues. I have no time for the important and non-urgent issues that are more important, honestly, because I'm trying to deal with everybody else's things instead of just uh -huh. what is essential. 
And Lindsay, can you talk to us a little bit about the power of delegation? Oh, it's the best. <laughs> it is so hard, but it's so good. I think one of the things that we really connect on is doing it right. And I too have struggled with, uh, you know, making perfect the enemy of good enough. The, I don't, I don't remember who said it, but you know, perfection is the thief of joy and and we can't let that happen. So I know one of the things that I've done recently that was way overdue and I really struggled with conceptually was I, I finally brought on an assistant and I feel like, you know, how badly I needed that because I was trying to hold on to everything all of the time and trying to be the sole pusher forward of every single piece of every single project meant that I might've been killing it professionally, but, but the rest of my life was struggling, you know, like didn't get to spend that quality time with my husband, because even when we were together, it would be like, oh, Slack notification or, oh my God, mm -hmm. I forgot to send this email. So bringing someone else on and being able to delegate to her has not only changed my sort of efficiency, two heads and four hands are better than one head and two hands. I don't know why I made that a riddle, but it's, it's not just that. It's that the effectiveness is there too. I mean, I, I now have double the resources almost to do essentially the same amount of work. And it's made me not only professionally more efficient and effective, it's made me more effective in my personal life and in my relationships and in all of those sort of quadrant two and three areas of, you know, varying importance and urgency that I'm, I'm able to breathe. <laughs> I'm able to breathe. I'm better at my job. I'm a better friend, partner. I'm better in all my roles. And it's interesting that now that I've taken some of the pressure off myself, the crises, the urgent and important, oh my God, this, you know, shit's hit the fan moments feel less big and bad and scary. They suddenly have become a bit more manageable because I determined I needed help. So I went and got it. I mean, easier said than done. It took me like a year and a half to accept <laughs> that I needed that help, but I've seen more sort of growth and progress in the last two months than I have in a while, both personally and professionally. So if you're on the fence about delegation, get off the fence, uh, <laughs> trust someone. And by delegation though, a clear definition needs to be added here. We're not talking about gopher delegation. We're not talking about you, no. you know, tell this person to do everything, including how to make coffee. It is, I mean, unless no. that's technically their job, but we're talking about stewardship no. delegation here, um, which is focused more on leadership and on trust, where you set guidelines and you set goals 
but the how it happens a lot of times is up to the individual being delegated to and you know the the newer the team member you know the more training that's going to go into that initially but over time there's more trust and there's more stewardship instead of like being a puppeteer and saying this is exactly how you do your job Um, and by doing it that way by learning to trust everybody grows and everybody finds more success than if you are to try to make everything happen exactly the way that you would do it because everybody's different and everybody has a different way of achieving their goals i think a big part of it you know moving from the purely tactical stuff with whoever you're delegating to to sort of that next level of stewardship has a lot to do with instilling pride and ownership or facilitating pride and ownership in the other person. So, you know, if my assistant is just in it for a paycheck and she's just going through the motions of explicitly what I tell her to do, there's sort of a cap on how far she and I can go. And so one of the things I've been really consciously trying to do is show her that all of these little bits, all of these little pieces, all of these little very tactical things that she does day to day add up to a significantly larger impact. It's, you know, greater than the sum of its parts. And I'm doing that through introducing her to clients. I'm doing that through showing her that, yes, it's just a tweet, but, you know, if you put enough of them out at a regular cadence, then suddenly you have a virtual footprint and that can go really far in hiring. Like there's a much bigger picture here that if you can help someone else understand, they'll eventually feel ownership for it. And then they get even better at, at the job that they're doing. And then in turn, you still have the space to breathe and think and, you know, play hooky on a Friday afternoon once in a blue moon. (laughs) And you do that by going through all of the daily things that you don't necessarily want to do, but have to be done, right? The brushing the teeth, the, uh, the doing the things that failures don't want to do, you know, putting first Mm -hmm. things first. And moving forward with a clear, outline of what you want to do, ensuring that you are in the right jungle and ensuring that you, you are building the Lego towards something bit by bit, block by block. And that everybody's on the same page and everybody is valued, which leads into thinking win-win, which is the chapter that we will be talking about next week. Chapter four of the seven habits of highly effective people. This is Lindsay and Amanda for On the Flip Side. We hope you have enjoyed our blabbering and thank you and have a great evening. (laughs) Thanks, y'all. Chat soon.